If you don't know, now you know. Now you're more than know. Yours truly, Josh Moore. Welcome to More Than Know Podcast. It's a special podcast. It's been a long time since I've had a guest on the show. And mm-hmm. uh, today's guest is world extraordinaire. Just <laughs> freakish of a man uh, as an athlete, but uh, just a better friend and a better human to me. It's been an honor and privilege uh, to be your friend now going on. About four or five years, Jimmy. Likewise. And so, you know, Jimmy, just so those who don't know who Jimmy House is, uh, Jimmy House is a BJJ black belt, just received that under Scott mm-hmm. Tannenbaum at TNT yep. uh, MMA. So congratulations on that, Jimmy. Thank you. Jimmy is also a, a world-class power lifter. You've, <laughs> set some, you've set some world records, haven't you? A few world records, yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah. And uh, and I'm slowly closing in on Jimmy's uh, stretch curl. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so I'm I'm doing my best on that. But yeah. uh, with all those accolades, I know you have so many accolades, and a lot of people actually touch on a lot of that in your podcast, and that's what you talk about. But to be honest with you, I've had the honor and privilege to really know you outside of, of mm-hmm. athletics and sports and and powerlifting, and and that's really kind of a side that a lot of people don't get to see. And so, you know, for me, it's kind of the same thing with me, you know, me, they see all my different brands and they see the things that I'm doing. And, and ultimately it's like, that's what I do, but it's not who I, like I am because I'm an extension of that. But, uh, you know, at the deepest core of it all, you know, who is Jimmy house? Well, I wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, you see me outside of the athletics and everything like that. And you've seen me and been with me in a lot of different lights, whether it be a French friend, a mentor, a coach. And even in some respects, you know, I've been able and lucky enough to switch the role and play mentor in some aspects as well. You know, so it's a very unique friendship. And I'm very grateful for what you've given me ever since you moved here from Montana and even going to Vegas and coming back to Arizona. It's one of those friendships that has stayed permanent yeah. ever since you've come and no matter where have you gone we've stayed pretty strong so i'm very grateful for it hey man i'm grateful for you buddy thank you thank yeah. you very much so to answer your question yeah. i i would say that to the core i i am very similar to the person that i was when i was a little kid somebody that enjoys athletics somebody that enjoys putting on a show for other people and, and enjoys helping others. And so when I find passions like jujitsu or lifting that all kind of accumulate and allow me to do both of those things at the same time, be it enjoy myself with my friends while still working hard, while still being able to help others, that's really who I am to the core. And so it's kind of interesting. I saw something not too long ago talking about entrepreneurs or people that get into coaching or people that make passions their living And it's almost like a kid that never wanted to grow up. And I thought about it for a little bit. And that's not necessarily a negative thing to me. Right. To me, it's, it's, I mean, it's a very positive thing in a sense that everything that I did when I was a kid, I've now found a way to profit off of it, make some monetary benefit off of it and still enjoy my time with my friends. And I never feel like I'm working and I feel like you've done a lot of the same. And I've actually used you for a lot of motivation and, and examples for myself seeing you go through your journey and how can I take some of the lessons that you've taught me and some of the things that I've seen you just do in your everyday and bring it on to myself and how do I benefit from that? So from a mentor standpoint, you've helped me a lot in that respect too. And it's helped me find my true self and I continue to plan to go deeper into that. Absolutely. And that's really what this is about, man, is, is, you know, we, I call it win-win relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think since day one, this has always been a, we've both given a hundred percent 
you know, and like yeah. in some relationships, you overextend yourself and you over obligate yourself and, and it's not reciprocated back. And I feel like this relationship, it's always been reciprocated back in one way or the other. Yeah. We've both been very selfless. And I think that that's a, a mark of like a truly solid relationship for, for everyone to have to have in their life. If you could have a couple of these types of relationships in your life, I mean, that's a blessing. And, uh, you know, going back, uh, you know, you've really been with me from the get go. And one thing that, uh, I can honestly say is that you've always accepted me. I've, I've shared my addiction story many times. So many of my viewers already know that. Mm -hmm. And obviously you only saw maybe little spurts of it. But one thing that I really loved about you is you never held any judgment towards me and you always had open arms and an honest heart and a non-judgment heart towards who I was because I truly believe you saw the best in me. And I was, regardless of what I was doing extracurricularly, is I really was trying to live those things, but I wasn't the I wasn't ready to commit yet. And that last few years, last three years specifically, I've really committed. And I remember you and I having a conversation a few years ago about where the standings of Team How Strong were, and we had a really mm-hmm. in-depth conversation about kind of cutting out the fat and getting not rid of people but really letting people remove themselves out yep. of the situation yep and so i think maybe that's something that'd be good good to talk on maybe not exactly in terms of names yeah. or yeah, people for sure. but more or less like what that what's that looked like over the last couple years in terms of the transition team how strong has been and also the transition you're going into in your personal career yeah so i'm going to reflect on a quote that i put on my story today yesterday one of the two basically says that don't expect people to give to you what you give to them. Not everybody has the heart that you do. And so to me, what that means is as much as I enjoy helping people, it gets to a point to where I find myself stretching myself out too thin. And it's not that, and you can relate, it's, it comes off like you expect reciprocation, but that's not necessarily why we get into the profession of helping others. But then at the same time, you also feel that hole where if you're giving so much of yourself and receiving very little in comparison, you do very much quickly realize that so-and-so person or people do not appreciate you like you appreciate them. And so that's kind of the life lesson that I learned through a lot of that process where I found myself stretching myself out too thin for people that were not willing to provide that back to me as much as I was in regard. And so when it comes to that story specifically, I found that, like you said, the lesson that you had taught me, if you can correct me on the specific verbiage, but you... It had it was the military comparison. Can you get, can you say that quote real fast? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't win the war with your first battalion. Right, exactly. So you know, I think about my original friend group, be it Irving, Matt, Jake, Amir, Fred. A lot of those guys that have been with me for a long time. They've always been there. And then you got your people that come in and then are very gung ho about whatever you're doing in the current state for whatever their prerogative is. And then they go away, and then new people come in. And through that process, you might gain like one or two solid people per every 25, you know, it almost seems that way. And I'm grateful for those solid pieces that have been added over the years, but it's like, how can we be more efficient with with our time expenditure when it comes to giving too much of ourselves to the people that really aren't there to stay with you long-term? And I would say just through this whole process, I've been much more diligent on who I give my time to, 
making sure that if I am giving my time to somebody, it, it is valued either, either through an exchange or, or through, again, through my profession. I, you know, I'm so grateful that so many of my friends, even my own sister, value my time so much to want to even pay for my services to teach them jujitsu, wrestling, lifting, what have you. And it kind of goes back to you and I where for a long time I was I was helping you with powerlifting and then you were helping me with wrestling because we both value our time in that respect and we don't want to feel like we're taking too much from the other. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've both been in the situation where we've been giving too much and not had that reciprocated. So we respect each other's time a lot due to that fact. I'm rambling, but there's a lot to be said about the topic, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate because there's typically at least someone that comes to mind when you talk about a topic like this where right. somebody cares too much and the other person cares too little. Right. Absolutely. And I always, like I said, I think this you have to align yourself in win-win relationships with people and not always not see – and it's saying the fact that relationships aren't transactional, but there is an even flow to them. I mean, there is a, there is, when you can give love and give it freely, give yourself service, give service, give it freely, then it's, it's going to come back to you. Mm -hmm. But when it's not being reciprocated, then you simply meet those people where they're at and you just, you literally meet them where they're at in terms of what they're giving versus what you're giving. You're just meeting people where they're at. It's just facts are facts. Mm -hmm. And then you start to really, really surround yourself with the people that are in these win-win relationships with yourself that are on their own path and they're not they're not uh, they're not looking to simply gain something from your status your success or like feed off of that that they're simply adding to the value of what you're doing whilst growing within themselves yeah and I think that that's so important especially when you're growing a ba- a brand or a culture is is you're, you're gonna be the leader there's going to be leaders I mean mm-hmm. and you are a leader and then you're gonna have like you're you're gonna have your first battalion, and that's mm-hmm. the Irvings and the Mats and everybody else that's involved in your first battalion. And then your second battalion is gonna come in, and then your third, and ev- and each way wa- each wave of battalion, like you said, one's gonna stick out of every twenty five people, mm-hmm. and it's it's really maintaining that, and then that's how you win the wars. You don't win it with your first battalion. They're, a lot of them are going to die off. It's like yeah. uh, uh, my girlfriend Jordan got me watching the show Vikings. I don't know if you've seen that show yet. No. 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 Yeah, you, might, you, might, you might actually really like it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a friggin' awesome show. So uh, she, got me, she got me watching the show. And uh, it's, th- that was back when they were like fighting with fucking like swords and shields. They didn't have guns mm-hmm. back then. And like they're, they're like, if, you know when like, they do like the shield wall? Mm-hmm. And then they, they're like fighting on the other side of the shield wall. Then they open it up and then. You know they're fight they're fighting together, but the thing is, man, when it's all said and done, you know they start off with twenty. They yeah. probably get to end with ten, even though if they're the even though that they're savages. Yeah, that th- such is life, man. And if you were to like really look back on the, you know, when can you say that the fruition of how strong and branding and besides like your childhood, I know always I always knew like you always probably knew growing up, you had this vision. But when that vision had like clarity and then you created the house strong brand and you kind of transition and seeing, okay, well, like this is what could happen in the future. If I plant my seed now, cultivate this, water the seed each and every single day with my own efforts, and I'm going to reap the benefits of the harvest one day. And so when did that vision really come into to perspective? Was it five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago when you came out with Team House Strong? When did that first come to fruition? 
I would say how Sean came before I even started having the the mental space that I do now in regards to what I want to do and where I where I plan to go because how strong was essentially created when I was a part of a, a different powerlifting team and I brought my friends onto that and there was a little bit of a falling out at the time that has since been mended grateful for but there's a falling falling out that essentially motivated me to create my own thing and I just named it how strong it's pretty much just as simple as that. Then once I started, you know, promoting things on social media, seeing the power of marketing and not that I necessarily knew that I was doing, but I was blessed enough to have people that were interested in my journey. I started to see what could actually come of the brand in particular to where people started wanting to wear shirts, offer to pay for shirts. I was in no place to take payment for shirts. I just gave out a lot of stuff for free, as you know. And then that's where I started learning the lessons of, you know, who's really there to support you and and whatnot, because to the last conversation, it's very appealing to be around myself or whoever when I'm tossing out shirts left and right and I'm giving workout advice left and right and I'm and I'm there for everybody when they're going through crap in life. But as soon as I'm like, hey, I'm going to take away for a little bit and do something for myself, a lot of those people now I haven't talked to in, in years, to be honest with you. And some of that is my own choosing, but other parts of it, no, it's more so like, you know, the person, the people that I was around haven't necessarily made an effort to be around me. So I would say that in that process, though, to answer your original question, I remember I was in class in college at one point and probably due to my lack of motivation at ASU and my overall boredom, I was my creative mind was going while the teacher was giving their lecture. And it popped up to my head that I could take myself or house strong, or both, and then really create something for myself that's going to benefit me, my loved ones, my best friends, and be able to make that something that's monetize that for the rest of my life. And so I texted Matt, Irving, and Jake, and I said, hey, like I have this specific vision in regards to house strong. I'm going to need your guys' help. Are you guys on board with making this nationally, internationally known? Are you guys on board with reaching the top of the world with, with this, with myself? And every single one of them immediately like, yes, yes, yes. And I don't think even we knew what that specifically meant at the time. All that was to me was them giving me their loyalty, their support to support me in whatever I wanted to do with myself and the brand. And now fast forward four or five years later, it's much more clear now training very hard to get a shot with the WWE, having actual potential now, having talked to quite a few people within the WWE and Things are becoming more clear, but it was the support and loyalty of my friends that were there for me regardless of what I wanted to do, even before anything was actually solidified. You know, everything was just talking the air at right. that time. And even when I first met you, too, yeah. like we were talking about our goals and visions, but nothing was really close to being accomplished. And nothing was really solidified, but we both believed in where we what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. And then you fast forward and then here we are. So that's why specifically I'm grateful for those people like yourself, because before there was even any proof of anything working, you guys all believed in my goals and my vision. And then I'm very, very thankful that I've gotten to the point to where I've proven like, yeah, you guys believe in me to this point. Like, yeah, you see, like I told you, but thank you for getting me here. And so that's why when I get to that point, the only thing I do want to do is give back to everybody. To me, that would that would make my life. Okay, I could die happy at that point. So absolutely, no, I love that man, and and uh, I'm on a very similar path. And like I said, I mean, we were in a much different position over four years ago when we first mm-hmm. met. And and that's the thing is is you're 
we have been lucky because we've had people that are our friends and part yeah. of our network that you know have believed in the same vision but i've always said is that is nobody has to believe in the vision except for yourself but if you have a couple people who also believe in you and are and are willing to lock arms then that's really something special and like you said now you just want to be of of just gracious service to these these people and that's what's that's what i think a lot of people get locked up in is you know i think a lot of people see the outcomes of of hard work but ultimately we were in a position a few years ago with just simply a dream and a vision and in that dream and a vision things along the way have changed there's been adjustments there's been pivots yeah and not everything's gone exactly to plan but it's gone to god's plan and it's mm -hmm. gone to the plan that's what we're supposed to be following but ultimately and i speak about this in my coaching quite quite frequently is people say man i don't really know what i want to do i don't have purpose or clarity well purpose and clarity is a one day at a time process but it's having a slight even if you have a little bit of a vision but just slowly building on that and so for us we had a big vision but my habits my skills and who i was now and who i am now was not the man back then right but i became that man and you've become the man that's in this position now you have to see something before it happens but you also have to understand that it's going to require a day-by-day -day process yeah. and you're not just going to fucking leap there in two no. years, three years, four years. I mean, it's going to be every day. Literally every day. And if you chip away little by little, by little by little, it compounds and you find yourself in a position that you're in now. I mean, this is like the keys to success and you can read any fucking success book or a webinar or go to any, you know, raw, raw convention mm -hmm. and you're going to hear this exact thing from people who are millionaires and billionaires and professional athletes is the same thing, but having a vision, but also not just having a vision because everybody can dream big. It's yeah. like, uh, the, the dream, the, the, the dream is free. The, the, the action or the hustle is sold separately. Mm -hmm. I hear that all the time, but I mean, how true is that? I mean, anybody can dream. Everybody wants to be rich, famous, or most people do rather in yeah. successful. Right. But very few have what it takes and it's called the law of the few and people have what is called the it factor and you have the it factor. And so when you were growing, when you were growing up, tell me about that. Cause I'll, I'll share a little bit about my childhood growing mm -hmm. up, but I want to hear about you. So like when you were growing up, what type of kid were you? What type of vision did you have when you were a kid? What type of thoughts did you have just about life in general, success, sports, etc.? Okay. Well, it derives from as many know if they're coming through me they know that goldberg was my lifelong hero so from the very beginning i was looking up to somebody that had reached the pinnacle of what he he's done and he's used that now to scale internationally hollywood everything everything that i would ever want to do be it help others inspire others achieve a level of success that allows him to take care of his family and loved ones like that's where i want to go so ever since i was three years old i've been watching him do what he does and it's it's essentially inspired me to strive to something like that being so young i didn't know what that was just yet but i always found myself wanting to be the best in even recreational sports like baseball or football or whatever i was signed up in as the time and you know irving and matt can attest i usually did my best to be the best person on each and every team be the captain on each and every team uh even in school like principles list, like A's all the time. And like, I try to push myself to be the best I could in every single aspect I could possible until I got older and things got more specific. 
I, I remember uh, in elementary school, I, like my group of friends, they were like calling me like their leader and stuff like that. And uh, even though that's kind of like weird and like a little bit narcissistic at the time, You're like the that, cult leader. That, <laughs> I guess so. I feel it. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So, but I've always found myself wanting to be the best in the community I was around and a leader with right. whatever community I was around that bled into high school captain on the wrestling team so on and so forth and then powerlifting, and then starting house strong and then getting my black belt and then becoming a coach and just always putting myself in a leadership type of position i i can't really recall a time where i i wasn't and if i wasn't it was for a short period of time and i worked very very hard to put myself in a position to where people saw me as one of the standouts and you know when i started jujitsu obviously i'm not the best coming in nor am i a leader in the gym but i worked very very hard two, three sessions a day to get to the point to where within a five, six months, like I was one of the guys to look up to. I don't know when that cut off, but what I was saying was, is, you know, Jimmy was just sharing his, his childhood vision on, on the progression from a child, from your childhood of, of really just being your best. Mm-hmm. And you knew that being your best was going to produce the results later down the road. You just didn't quite know it back then. Uh, you know, when you're a child, you still understand, but you but you had the vision. And what I was going to say about my childhood is something very similar. Now, for me is I was, you know, in the wrestling community. And, you know, for a lot of people in the state of Montana, our vision is our vision of the future is very limited. Mm-hmm. You came up and visited my hometown. Yeah. I mean, there compared to Phoenix is quite a drastic change. Yeah. And but also I have friends that grew up in towns of 1500 or 2500 people. Mm-hmm. And this is where we trained out of like, I mean, just the, <laughs> the shittiest of, of training facilities and, and whatnot. But I always knew as a child, not, not only about my success or like what I wanted to do in terms of sports, or, but I always knew that I was gonna, going to have a life somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing for me when I was a kid because I was like, man, I, I'm just a kid, man. And, but I would remember looking out the car window and we driving by. And I'd see flashes of like what my life would look like. And I knew that my life didn't mean to stay in Montana. And for some reason, that just continually pulled me from decision to decision. I was like the first one at my school besides like the emo kids back mm-hmm. in like 2009 to wear Vans shoes. Really? I took like a spring break trip down here my, uh-huh. and my mom was living down here at the time. And everybody was wearing Vans and like tube socks. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, fuck yeah, let's do it, baby. You know, Montana's like 15 years behind. Mm-hmm. So like whatever happens right now is going to like hit Montana in like 15 years. <laughs> I swear, dude, like that's uh-huh. how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, that's why there's a lot of like traditional things in Montana that are still working that don't work in like the real world, uh-huh. you know, but when I was a kid, you know, this, these were all different situations where I, I saw a vision about my future. I had, I had like this vision and ultimately I wanted to get the fuck out of my hometown. And I'm so grateful that that was what had happened because me getting out of my hometown has created such opportunities to connect to people like yourself, be in a situation of really uh, of really expanding my perspective of the world. I've lived in six different states now. I've, I've traveled out of the country, et cetera. And I, I've done it all. I mean, I've went on the Discovery Channel and fucking have businesses mm-hmm. and all sorts of – lived with monks and all sorts yeah. of different things. But ultimately, just bringing it back all together is similar vision – I knew I knew that there was something something in life that I that I was destined to do and to be, but ultimately didn't quite know it. But I knew that there was something inside of me, and all that didn't start coming together until later, until my mid, until my early twenties, and then I was an addict through my early twenties, halfway through, and then decided to t- change my life at age twenty five. Mm-hmm. 
But I still had that it factor just like you, but my life kind of took me astray after I injured my back. Uh-huh. And so I lost a few years and, and I lost a few years of like actual hands on like production per se, but I gained a lot in terms of what I did. I fucking lived out of a backpack and I had a truck and I, I couch surfed from, from friend's house to friend's house and lived in the mountains and had all these different experiences. So ultimately for me, my, my, where I gained the most clarity was doing so much, Yeah, doing a lot of things. And that's kind of sounds like when you were a kid, you were allowed to do so many different sports and activities and all sorts of different things. And you were excelling at them and you've done a, a you've done a lot. And then a few stuck, yeah. a few really, really stuck. And you know, what's funny about it all is I, your father was at your, uh, uh, black belt promotion and he's yeah. talking about you <laughs> him teaching you how to lift weights when you were a kid yeah. funny enough my dad did this we had my, my mom uh i don't really really talk about this because my mother was a high level competitor bodybuilder that's mm-hmm. all there was in the 90s when mm-hmm. 80s and 90s for female body for female uh bodybuilding was literally female bodybuilding yeah is she was a high level competitor in the nineties and she was a badass i mean she won the overall overall at uh the uh, Emerald Cup out in Seattle. Ronnie Coleman that year was the mm-hmm. guest poser. Mm-hmm. Um, some big things, but the the whole reason why I'm saying that is is that you know I was engulfed in this workout industry when in the '90s, dude. Yeah. Like, and it was kind of like the 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 blood and guts era of Dorian Yates. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I would like to know, like, what was your first memory of of powerlifting and lifting weights? And like, <laughs> when you were little, did you ever watch any of the old like? Um, you know, Dorian Yates things or, or what did your dad get you on? I want to hear your perspective on, on the lifting the weights and like kind of how that transitioned in your love for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he started me lifting weights because he felt that it would help set me up for later on in life, which clearly it has, but probably not in the way that he expected, honestly. Yeah. With that said, he had started me training. I probably first touched a weight when I was four or five and when I was six or seven, he had bought like a little weight set from sports authority and he was teaching me like basic curls and presses and squats and stuff like that. And at first it was, it was kind of fun, but then when it started to become like a, a chore that I had to do every single weekend with him, then I didn't really want to do it, but I've always been very obedient to naturally. So I never really told him that I didn't want to do it. So I just, I kind of just stuck with it for most of my childhood, whether I enjoyed it or not. Now, when it comes to different things back then, he had a lot of weightlifting magazines, like bodybuilding magazines and stuff, but I never really spent much time looking at them or or knowing the people in them. Now, I would be able to tell you who they are for the most part, but back then, I wasn't really into it. I lifted with him up from basically age 6, 7 up until I was age 14, and then by the time I was ending my freshman year in high school, I was basically training myself. And then a couple years into that, I went over to Gold's Gym, which is now EOS, and there were a lot of bodybuilders there at the time. I went through my first physical transformation where I went from kind of like baby fat, chubby to actually lean. And then I started getting some recommendations from people at the gym for me to try like a show or something like that. And I thought that was cool, and I started getting more engulfed into bodybuilding and the history behind it and the people that are very big into it. So there's a short stint of my life there, mostly throughout my junior and senior high school where I was actually pretty big into it per se, where I thought that's what I wanted to do competitively after I graduated high school. But that was more so a phase for me. But in general, the weightlifting is what stuck long term. I found that I've always liked strength more than aesthetics. 
I think I once I got over the the fact of looking good, I I was more so so concerned about performance because that's what lifting was always for for me anyways. Lifting was always to help supplement sports. And so when I was like in the mode of lifting to look a certain way for longer than six months or so, things got kind of boring for me, honestly. And so I was glad when I found powerlifting for that short time because then it became a strength thing and it was competitive. But then even powerlifting got redundant because I, I wasn't really using any of that strength and applying it to anything. So then that got boring, but then I found jujitsu. Then lifting became relevant again because it was the same reason why I was lifting so hard in high school for wrestling. And then I found a purpose with it again. So I would probably say that to answer your question overall, when I was little, my dad started it with me and I kind of just did it mostly because he, he wanted me to, and I didn't want to tell him no, but then it grew into my own passion later on. And now it's, it's an honor to be in a position to teach people like he taught me. I love that. You know, it's so funny because, uh, you know, my story is almost like very similar, but opposite in mm-hmm. terms of uh, my dad got me into wrestling when I was five years old. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated it. Right. Dude, absolutely hated it. I, I got uh, back then there would have been a lot of uh, child abuse charges on some coaches. <laughs> uh, uh, rest in peace, Bob Zadick. Uh, Bob Zadick. Uh, he's got his son, Bill Zadick, is the head freestyle wrestling coach uh, for the U.S. Olympic team. Um, and he's alumni of my high school. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a national champion at Iowa. And uh, and then Mike Zadick was an All-American. And both and then Bill Zadick was a world gold medalist. Um, and Mike Zadick's an Olympian as well. Uh, so their father actually was the one who <laughs> coached me early mm-hmm. on when I was five years old. And so I remember being five years old in my very first practice. I didn't even I didn't have enough time to get wrestling shoes, so I was wearing tennis shoes. Oh, really? And my first practice, man, this is funny. My first practice, there was this uh, kid, Chris Christopher Barber, and uh, we're five years old, and there's 110 of us lined up on a wall. And at the very first practice of every season, you have to step out and yell your name as loud as you can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris was talking to me, and I'm going to put this on Chris and. And uh, rest in peace to Chris as well. He's he's also past tense, but uh, I, I'm going to put this on Chris because because you know, and he's probably looking down and probably laughing at the story every time I say, I say it. But he he was talking to me, and I was trying to say, hey man, you know, be quiet, you know, when you're five, yeah, right? yeah. And uh, Coach Zadik has a strict rule: nobody's talking when Coach Zadik's talking. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care who you are. And so there's 110 of us in this room in the very first practice of the year, and they used to do a thing called what was what was called a field a field goal. So what he would do is he would have the have two <laughs> coaches line up and they, you know, you'd hold my hand and they would go like this uh-huh. and they'd make a field goal and then he would say, "All right, boy, get on down." And so you get down on your hands and knees <laughs> and you get down on all fours and he'd he'd line he'd line you up and then he'd take a couple steps back and he'd do one of these numbers uh-huh. and then he'd run and fucking boot you right in your ass. Really? Fucking kick you right in your ass, dude. I'm five years old in front of 110 kids. <laughs> so this is my very first experience of wrestling practice in my life, dude. First time ever to have some practice. Yeah. And uh, so I went home crying, dude. Oh, <laughs> my dad's like, what's going on? And, and so Coach Coach Zadik calls my father. Well, my dad calls Bob and was like, hey, you know, Coach, what the, what the fuck's going on yeah. here? And he told him the deal and and uh, he, he then he wanted to have a meeting with my dad. Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, okay, you know, sure, man. So they sit down and they have this meeting. And, and in the meeting, Bob, Coach Zadik says to my father, he goes, 
the reason why that I did that to your son is because I knew you could handle it. <laughs> my dad's like, dude, my kid's five, man. Yeah. You, you know, like <laughs> probably a little much there, coach. And then, and then he goes, he goes, your, your kid's got it. Your kid's got it. I think your kid can be an Olympic and world champion one day, but you got to have your kid come live with me. Really? <laughs> wow. My fucking dad goes, yeah, I'm going to pawn off my five-year-old to go ahead and live with you. Rest in peace, Bob's attic. But uh-huh. man, what a fucking story that is. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, my dad says, you know what? My dad's going to be, my, my son's my, may or may not be a world champion or Olympic champion one day. Uh, but for today, he's still going to live in my house. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want to fucking go to that practice, dude. It, I think it took me two or three weeks of my dad trying to force me to go. Mm-hmm. And I'd cry and cry and cry and cry and all this other shit my dad finally got me to go and for the majority of my wrestling career i fucking hated wrestling Hmm. my dad and i didn't have that great of a relationship that's well known uh we we had a good relationship between us but there were some dynamics that you know that probably would have changed if he was to go back and change some things which is to be expected um and you know there was a lot of hard times between him and i and uh, that probably didn't add to my love of the sport at all. Uh, wasn't until later that I found really love for it. And uh, but it was funny because what I was saying on the opposite side of things is that I lifted my whole life too. But like lifting was like the one thing that I actually did love, and mm. I didn't do it because my dad wanted me to do it. Mm. I actually loved it because I just wanted to fucking lift and work out. I just loved working out. But I hated going to wrestling practice, but I was just good at it. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like almost like the complete opposite. You you got into the sport of wrestling really yeah. late, you know, and, and me, I, I was, I started really early and now I, I like for me also too, the lifting was very performance oriented. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until later, honestly, it wasn't even until the last handful of years that I really got into lifting in terms of power lifting. Yeah. After a bunch of fucking back surgeries and knee surgeries. And yeah. I'm not even gonna get into all of that, which is kind of weird how the timeline of that fell, fell yeah. in. But Talk about you. So you you were you're lifting because your dad wants you to lift. Mm-hmm. And then when did you get into wrestling? And then when in wrestling did you say, "Hey, this is something I really want to excel at?" Yeah. So my first actual season of wrestling, quote season, I say quote because it wasn't it was in middle school, but we didn't have really a solidified program. But we did like actually go to wrestling practice and go to tournaments and stuff. But then I remember going to high school practice my first time and learning like a front headlock. And I was like, what grade did you say? What's up? What grade? I I started wrestling in eighth grade, technically. Eighth grade. But uh, I consider my first season my freshman year. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So eighth grade, basically seventh grade, I went out for the basketball team and I made the basketball team. Hey, all right. But, But I also rode the bench the whole season. Okay. I did score 18 points in that season, though, so. I had a three-pointer from, like, three feet Damn, behind you, the line. Can you, can you make buckets or what? <laughs> Back then, actually, I was de- halfway decent, yeah. 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 My claim to fame more recently is Matt Olson, my little brother, who's a big basketball fan. Yeah. When we went to New Jersey and we're in the arcade... I came back from like an eighteen point deficit on the little arcade basketball oh, yeah. thing, and I nailed, I nailed like ten shots in a row. And, and yeah, back seventh grade bench. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah after that, I'll although, show, but I I'll show you my claim to fame with that is that I actually made a team over kids that have been playing basketball most of their lives, <laughs> and I mostly just made it because I was kind of aggressive and getting rebounds and stuff, and right. I had some athleticism. But anyways, after riding the bench for the whole season and seeing like maybe thirty seconds a game. I remember watching the wrestlers wrestle that season 
and looking in the room, and I'm like, that looks kind of fun. So basically, Irving was one of those people in seventh grade, and he was still my best friend at the time. So I asked him, is wrestling something that's fun? Or like, do you think I, I could do it? And he encouraged me to actually try it. Right. So then eighth grade came around. I went out for the team. I, I enjoyed it a lot, mostly due to the fact that Mostly due to the fact that some of my martial arts background, as it was as from a kid, it was somewhat similar, like body control and stuff like that. And I was I got like whatever second in conference that year, but I was still more dedicated to football. So mm-hmm. I actually missed state for a football game. So I, you can see, I didn't really take wrestling super seriously at the time, right? Because I still thought football was a passion of mine. I got to Ridge my freshman year, found out what football is really like, at least. At that high school, which now I'm grateful for because it it's paved the way for who I am now. But at the time, I was really into football. I was really looking to playing football my freshman year. Didn't like the majority of people that I was around, and I didn't even think I wanted to wrestle in high school because I heard about how much harder it is in <laughs> high school than it is in middle school. Right. And so, th- so but then after a crappy football season as a freshman, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to keep playing for the school? Be around people that I don't like, people that talk shit and all these different things and i remember going into my dad's room the day before the wrestling team started training and he's and he's like well just give it a shot and if you like it then stick with it if you don't just it's it's okay just you know you tried it and i went there and the practice was really hard but there's something actually rewarding about it to me and i also appreciated the fact that you actually had to earn your spot there was no politics in it you either win your spot or you don't and that was really appealing to me at the time so after my freshman year wrestling on varsity, winning half my matches on the online rankings, they had me as the top freshman in my weight class. And although that doesn't necessarily mean much to me, it meant, well, maybe if I work really hard at this and keep this pace going, maybe I could win like state my senior year. And I, and seeing that I had potential for a level of greatness like that at the time was, was very motivating to me. So that's why I dedicated the next four years of my life to wrestling. And, and then it just bled into everything I'm doing now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible to see that, and then, you know, it's really cool. Cause how old are you, Jimmy? Twenty five, twenty six tomorrow. Oh, twenty six tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, I did, I gotta be a better. Shows you how good of a friend <laughs> I am. Well, happy early birthday, and glad you're you. able to make it on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Shout out to you. Happy fucking birthday, brother. I love you, man. Love you too. Thank you. But yeah, so twenty six tomorrow, and twenty six has never been kissed. Pretty much, yeah, okay, yeah, right. pretty much. That's, that's honestly, right. yeah, at this point, yeah. Have been kissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just keep riding the streak. Honestly, yeah, that's is all what good. I would keep saying if I were you. Really, yeah, you know, just maintain that status, yeah. that uh, you know, that untouchable, unkissable status, really. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a, such a unique thing to, you know, and I, I don't know, I've, I've had this question asked to me, and, and it's a dilemma that I've had a lot in my life in terms of my own kids mm-hmm. and when to get them started in the sport of wrestling because it's really twofold. And I think that we put a lot of pressure on young athletes to excel quickly in the sport. And I believe that the attrition rate in wrestling is incredibly high. One out of every eight wrestlers quits every right. year. So it's one of the highest attrition rates because like you said, it's fucking hard. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, yeah it's not that fun. And like, I mean, it's fun, but in like a very twisted way that it's fun. What all you have to go through and do to make it fun right. is very debatably worth it or not. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is the payoff? Sure. Is, the, yeah. is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right. Right. I, I mean, I guess in a very sick, twisted way, yeah. it, it is. It is. Yeah. But it, to get to that mentality takes also a lot of work. And yeah. Yeah. For sure. Dude, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You and know, you and you know it even more than I do. I'm just talking from my experience itself. But I know where you're going with this because we've talked about it before. But right. to, not even to cut you off. No, but you're good. I agree because I've. When I started wrestling, my goal was to work really hard to make up for 12, 15 years of not being doing it like a lot of my peers had. Right. By the time I was a senior, I was going against and beating a lot of kids that had started at your age or slightly older. And you're much you're much more talented than they were. But my, my point is, is that maybe because I was very dedicated and wanting to just learn wrestling as a sport for myself versus like being put into it for maybe a different prerogative, it helped a lot in regards to catching up on lost time absolutely yeah i mean and you know i i, I this is not a this is not a uh, a knock on you at all mm-hmm. it's more of a praise and, and it's, it was to kind of piggyback off of like just anything that I would add to that is is that you know for a solid 10 years you know i was part of this sport that was absolutely beating the hell out of my body and so by the time I got to the pinnacle of which, which I thought was college wrestling, you know, is I was already, I was pretty much already shot with injuries right. and everything else in between, you know, you know, a guy like yourself and we've talked, I've sp- spoke about this often. It's a, always a twofold. It's like, you know, do you give up a little bit of the valor of being a state champion and have a little bit of success, success in your high school glory days to then per- put your position yourself Later in your twenties, when you're maturing as a man, maturing mentally, to put your put yourself in a position to be world class athlete, you have all the attributes to of a champion, and you've always had it. It just took you a little longer, and you had to like make up for the lost time. Yeah. But now, though, the thing is, is you've beaten the war of attrition, and you've positioned yourself in the space of of athletics that. I'm not competing anymore, my man. I've been doing this for mm-hmm. a long, long time. I right. got a lot of years on me. I don't have the chance to compete anymore. Even if I wanted to, I, I couldn't, you know, I just mm-hmm. be too much on my body. You know, obviously I'm not saying that you haven't been, it's not like it's all been perfect, but I think sometimes blooming a yeah. little later has right. major advantages for actual, especially when it comes to fucking combat sports. Yeah. You know, maybe it's different when it comes to basketball or baseball, because you're going to go straight into the pros when you're fucking 20, 23, 24. Yeah. But like in terms of wrestling, Dude, think of like how how different maturity wise you are now as a twenty six year old man, and, and how and how, not only not only physically but mentally different. I mean, I mean, talk about that change from when you're tw- just from twenty to twenty six. Yeah, so I'm gonna try to talk about this without sounding like I'm hyping myself up too much, but a lot of it is just the confidence that I've gained through working through pe- with people like you. My good friend Garrett Ryan, my other good friend Samson Imanote, like with you, with your Division One experience, and we've talked about it several times. Like, I have no doubt in my mind, had things gone differently for you, you would have been an, an All American at the very least. You know, with your knowledge and the way you apply it, and I compare it to my friends that wrestled for, at Olympic trials that qualified for NCAA's twice. You know, as D one athletes, I'm like, you are right there with them, and and to me, like, if you had the chance, you would have accomplish everything that you set out to do with that said 
I think about where I was at the end of my senior year of high school, where I felt pretty confident going against 99% of the people within Arizona. But I also knew very well, and I saw it when other Arizona guys would go out and wrestle people from other states, and they just get mopped. Right. Like a undefeated 160 whatever and oh state champ roman bravo young excluded from this talk right. by the way <laughs> he's obviously the outlier right but the majority of kids that were considered studs in arizona will go out to fargo or virginia beach or wherever and they get absolutely demolished and so i look at that and i think i'm nowhere as good as those kids and they're going out to these national tournaments and they're getting demolished and then they go to college at some d3 and then you never heard it, hear about it ever again and not that that isn't respectable, not that what they did isn't respectable, but I think about where my mindset was at that time as far as how limiting I was. I'm like, I'm good in Arizona, but yeah, I wouldn't want to wrestle anyone from anywhere else. i get mopped. Then my first experience actually with wrestling somebody from another state came at ADCC trials my first time a few years back. I wrestled a, a guy that was a state placer come from California and then wrestled D1 at Cal Poly. We basically had a six-minute wrestling match, and I won at the very end with a takedown. And I look at that, and I'm like, wow. So I took my fifth place medal from high school, went against somebody that was a state placer in California, much tougher than Arizona, and then wrestled D1. And at the time, I would have gotten nothing better than like a D3 or NAIA opportunity, maybe. Right. And so I'm like, okay, maybe there's something to be said about this. And I'd just been doing jujitsu the whole time. Right. So now, after venturing and learning from you, learning from Garrett, learning from Sanson, and then testing myself against legitimate division one athletes that come in or other college wrestlers d2 d3 what have you and i'm getting the upper hand more often than not it's like wow like to to your point maybe i just blossomed at a different time to where things just finally clicked and i'm like you know i'm much better than what i gave myself credit for way back when and i never got to say test it on a collegiate level but i know that whenever i wrestle against somebody with collegiate experience especially somebody that actually did a fair amount of success i can keep up with them right. well and and even you know that through training with me too so it's a testament to my work of course but also the people that i was around like yourself to even show me that it was even possible because a few years back like you said early 20s i would have never thought i'd ever be hanging with people at that caliber or even within a respectable conversation of the matter. Absolutely. And this is what I, and to really piggyback off of that in terms of, of how I could really relate that into the real, not the real world, but just in life in general is when I, when I do coaching sessions with my one-on-one -on -one clients for success and addiction, coaching, lifestyle coaching, et cetera, is I call it the, it's called the master factor. And so what has happened is, is for me, I, I was coached, or I am currently coached still, by Jeffrey Combs, who has 35 years of coaching experience, has produced $60 million in his career. His level and understanding of consciousness and the context and content that he is coaching on is world-class. I mean, it is, it is the top of the top. But what it's some of the concepts that it took him for 30 years to really develop into has taken me three years. Mm -hmm. And then now that I have these concepts, now the master who, who teaches its student then when that student can click like this, that student then can relay that information over to somebody and that person can pick it up in three months, mm -hmm. in three right. days, in three fucking seconds, three minutes, whatever the situation is. And they're able to pick up these situations much quicker. And so, you, you know, when you're surrounded yourself with, with these, these world-class people, uh, not only myself, you know, I've played a, such a small, smaller role in your, but like, you know, a guy like uh, Scott, Coach Scott, you know, you're, you're around world-class people 
and he's been doing this forever for mm-hmm. a long time but he's been able to pass that down to you because the student's ready open and receptible right and, and and that's what makes all the difference in the world is i've had that factor not in athletics i've had that in my coaching my business and free enterprise and commerce and You've had that specifically in in athletics. Not that you didn't work hard for the fucking 15 years up, but it really prepared yourself mm-hmm. to excel once you're in a position and an environment for you to, to really expand and grow. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that, yeah, I've been working for my whole life and my dad was the start of it all. When it came to wrestling and everything, I'm the only one in my family that's ever wrestled before. So that was kind of my own journey. And in Arizona, coaching's limited. You know, there's only a few schools that actually have college level coaches and then like one school that has somebody that at, that was at the olympic level and they're doing really well and obviously but in arizona in general you don't have very strong coaching and so my best attribute about myself when it comes to athletics is not specifically strength or or intellect or anything like that it's more so my ability to be adaptable right and so i found that even in my early years of wrestling wrestling with our varsity 220 when i was a little 189 freshman i found that wrestling with him i get i had a reference to close the gap with and i would chase that and then with jujitsu like if you put something that's better than me in front of me i i'm able to adapt and constantly try to close that gap now some gaps are bigger than others but i find a way to close most gaps that are presented to me and so then i thought to myself especially and then in this last training cycle where i trained my hardest in regards to grappling what if i put myself around people that are light years better than me with wrestling to where every single day i'm exposed to it how fast and how how well could i close that gap and i found that I could I adapted very very well to where I never surpassed any one of you, but in regards to everybody else that I was going with, it went from like having contested matches with a successful D two D three wrestler to where I I I confidently say that I can handle most anybody in in that skill level. And so just being around you guys had brought me up so much to where when I go against the majority of wrestlers, people that are still very good, I didn't have any trouble with it. And and to me, the ability to be adaptable based upon the people that are around me is the key to success in that matter. So when I surrounded myself with people as skillful as you guys, that was the thing that helped me the most. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Jimmy, that's just been, I think that is your best attribute as a man is your ability to really be a sponge and adapt. And uh, I've, I've had the honor and privilege to be such a small part of that um, in the the literal sense of your success. But more importantly, Jimmy, as we kind of wrap this up now, is, is more importantly, besides all the accolades and the Jimmy House story and all the things that you're going to achieve in the future and, and everything else, at the end of it all, you know, when we sit here and just shoot the shit, we're just buddies. Yeah. You know, we're just we're just friends. And and regardless of all the success and and accolades that you have achieved or will achieve when you and I sit down, we're just homies. You know, yeah. I just, I just see you for you. And, and that's what really, uh, that's what, man, that just makes me gracious in life and grat and, and so great and, and have so much gratitude is to be able to have a relationship like that with such a phenomenal human being. And when you're at the biggest stage, I can say, that's my fucking homie. You know, and and that's my that's my boy. You know, and 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 not saying not being like, oh, I helped him get there, but he's mine. But more or less, just being like, that's fucking awesome, because I I want every single person in my realm to fucking win in life. And uh, you know, it's really cool to to be part of the success somewhat, but just being 
heart of fucking just having a relationship is even more to me that's everything and if you fucking fell off the planet earth and went and fucking worked at fucking FedEx yeah. you know or UPS or whatever you know I know Asians that's a thing that they do <laughs> you know but yeah. if that's what you did bro guess what I would still fucking love you yeah. just the way that you are and that's what's powerful about this so Jimmy just wrapping this up uh, what is a final message just, just real quick that you want to wrap it up with and uh, where can everybody keep up with you and find you on your journey so keeping up with me instagram jhouse 182 youtube jimmy house twitter at jhouse 182 those are my main platforms if you want to buy any house strong merchandise you can find us at yeah the hat right there www.teamhousestrong.com of course make sure to check out field supplements www.fieldsupplements.com I don't know if you have a website for Farm Sushi yet. Yeah, FarmSushi.com. FarmSushi.com. Check them out as well. Great hats and great – actually, I haven't tried in the meat products yet, but at least great hats. But I will be giving a review on the meat products soon right. because I, I can't wait for that. But to wrap up, I think the one lesson that I can give to everybody that I've learned, especially recently, there's a lot of people that have big goals and a lot of people that have big visions. With that said – I'm also a believer that worlds words are the most powerful thing in the universe only if backed up by relentless action. So if the work is there and the action is there and you put in that work every single day like we talked about er- earlier, then you have to believe and speak things into existence. And I, that's where I've found things have really fallen into place, especially for me the last month. So that's a practice that I will continue to and I suggest that others do that as well but you can only speak and be confident in something if you trust the work that you've put in to be able to have that type of confidence towards your goals I love it Jimmy words are law and words do not return void and procrastinate and the law of attraction is nothing without action mm-hmm. and so you're you're an absolute uh, servant of that you're a, a, an ambassador of, of action, of change. You're an exceptional human being, Jimmy, besides all the accolades at the core of it all. You're just a phenomenal person, a phenomenal man that I'm grateful to have you in my my network. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. And uh, we will be back on this podcast soon. Yeah, very soon. Uh, soon to, you know, I think we should even just make this a once a month type thing and, yeah. and really kind of sit down as, as we can. And I know you got big things happening, so it'd be cool to catch up on some of that but also talk about a lot of topics that you're not talking about with a lot of different people just because i, I know you're on such a different level yeah i agree so with that being said be sure to like comment subscribe this is more in the know podcast with jimmy i call we like call him jimmy mansion <laughs> and actually jimmy mansion that that came at the same time as blake builder blake builder That's right is uh, I got a shirt right right here, Blake L. Animal. He's fighting tonight. He's defending oh, yeah. the main event in, in New Jersey, Atlantic City, New Jersey, as he defends his Cage Warriors FC belt, uh, the featherweight title. So oh, yeah. I, I'd like to see. It's, it's probably already done, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ruin it for the sub- subscribers and people who are watching in. But uh, uh, Jimmy Manchin, it's been an honor and a privilege, man, and I love you, my friend, and love we'll be too. back soon. Thank you, man. Okay, Thank guys. you, guys. Peace, Peace. out.